0: Wake up, hockey fans. It is Monday, January 8th. We had an action-packed weekend of NHL action, talking injuries, talking rants, physical play, gold medals, everything, you name it. But before we get into any hockey, like and subscribe to the show below. Get involved in the chat. We're going to answer your questions today and on every single show in the coming weeks. But let's talk some hockey. I'm Johnny Lazarus. My co-host is Kobe Cohen. Kobe, how was your weekend? What's going on?
1: Johnny, my weekend was good until we got on camera this morning, and I started asking you history questions. And you, I got to tell you, you started Monday out by letting me down in a big way. Your your just lack of understanding, and you know me asking you who the prime minister was oh of Canada, <laughs> the vice president. I mean, I honestly, I, I don't even know how I can continue with someone who's just so irresponsible as you are. So the weekend was good. Monday morning, not off to a great start. Of course, I'm just kidding with you, bud. You know, I love you. That's what you got me for.
0: Well, Kobe, it's great to see you too. My weekend was awesome. Thanks for asking. And uh, really excited to talk some hockey with you today. Friday, let's go into Friday right off the bat because uh, I called you probably five different times throughout the day. But a lot of it had to do with the World Junior. The U.S. team went into Sweden. They took home the gold. A lot of action in that game, uh, a lot of taunting in that game. Some say the USA was a little bit classless in the way they won. I loved it personally. I'm sure you loved it as well. But what was your takeaway from the United States World Junior Gold Medal game?
1: Listen, anytime you you put on your country sweater, um, there's just extra emotion that gets packed into those games, Johnny. And especially when you're playing for a gold medal in a hostile environment. Uh, uh, you know, in enemy territory. And, and that's what it was for Team USA. They they played against Sweden in the gold medal game. The building was packed. The only U.S. fans in that building were the players, parents and siblings and, you know, family members, you, you name it. So um, I, I really liked it. I like seeing the emotion of it all. Um, I like seeing the way the U.S. answered the bell against a really difficult and, and talented Sweden team. Um, you know, other than like you said, you calling me just about every 10 minutes of that game, uh, chewing my ear off, it, it was a great win for USA. And look, the last 10 years, um, the US, I believe, has, has, you know, medaled five, five different gold, or excuse me, in the last 15 years, I think the stat is they've got five gold medals, the same as Canada. So I know that if you go back to the, you know, 2000s, it's, it's skewed a little bit more towards Canada, but. USA hockey, man, they they just continue to do a great job. And you're seeing the strength of that goaltending position coming out of the U.S., Johnny, left and right. And that was surely on display in this tournament.
0: I also just realized, and I don't know if this is on purpose, but it definitely is that you're wearing your USA hockey sweatshirt. And that's totally on purpose for the show, right?
1: I mean, it's, a, it's we've got to celebrate the gold medal. Yeah. I'm going to wear this sweatshirt all day today um, and maybe even tomorrow. But uh, I'm I'm pumped for these guys. I mean, the videos coming out of Sweden um, were, were inspiring. They really were. You see stuff like that. You see the different elements, and and it just gives it gives me the chills. I mean, it, it really does. Like I'm just I'm excited for those guys. A number of those players I've gotten to know um, over the years from covering the NCAA and doing the Frozen Four and getting to meet these guys. So. It's awesome, man. It's it's one time where we can all come together and root for the same team, uh, which you rarely see during an NHL season. Um, so I, I'm I'm pumped for those guys.
0: Well, there were some mixed feelings about the way that you, the United States players celebrated their goals, celebrated the win. Uh, I think I personally loved it. And before I kind of send it over to you everyone always complains that hockey players don't show enough personality, right? Like, you know, they go about their business, they play the game and that's it. But these guys, like these kids and Ryan Leonard, to me, especially he scored a beautiful individual goal. Then he blows kisses to the stand, puts his ear up saying, I can't hear you. I mean, that's exactly what you want, not only from the United States of America players, but just hockey players in general. Like I would have loved it if a Swedish player scored and like, and like, you know, went by the United States bench and kind of quieted them down. Like, you know, I think it's all, Good for the game, but Ryan Leonard, man, like I've gotten to know that kid uh, as well. Covering BC, I played with his brother John at UMass, and I'll be doing some more BC games later on this second half of college hockey. But he is an electric factory in every sense of that word, and I can't wait to see him uh, lace him up with Alexander Ovechkin in the future. But this goal, this celly, everything about it was unbelievable, and I love the way that he got the fans to uh, to hate him a little bit.
1: I I never put two and two together there because I remember John Leonard from UMass. And then I know he played some games in San Jose and maybe had a couple of cups of coffee in the NHL. Um, But look, I'm with you. I think that very, very, you know, reasonable statement by you, which doesn't happen often (laughs) is that uh, you're right. All we ever talk about is how to grow the game and how to give the players more personality. And then the minute they do it, Everybody whines about it, right? Unless it's your team, everybody else starts complaining and, oh, they're classless, oh, this and that. No, are you kidding me? This is just guys having a good time, emotion. Um, Look, we've seen back and forth between the U.S. and Canada when it's been on, you know, Canadian soil. It kind of reminded me of a college hockey atmosphere. You see these things in college hockey because of the student sections, fans don't sit down at college games especially when you go to some of the more you know rowdy college buildings um and i think that's just a great atmosphere i think it's a little bit different in an nhl arena just because look you've got families in an nhl arena and you've got a lot of people in suites that are entertaining clients that aren't going to be yelling and screaming and they're not going to be there's no band like at a college hockey game and you know at those european um, those European sections have those horns that they blow, which mm-hmm. it's like soccer. Those guys are like hooligans. I love it. I absolutely that horn was
0: that. so annoying the entire game. It was pissing me off.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I like it though. I, I think it's good. I, I again, it reminds me of a like a great game up at like the University of Maine or when Northeastern's good and they pack Little Matthews Arena and they got pots and pans in the student section. So. That kind of stuff to me is fun. And I think that brings out that type of response from the players.
0: But also, you know, better than me, the United States, Sweden rivalry, there wasn't really anything I feel like personal before that game, but the United States Rucker majority, especially, you know, in many interviews that he did said, you know, we're going to enjoy being the villain, but do you think they had to kind of create that villain mentality themselves? Or is that something that just because they were in Sweden, it was automatic?
1: I think it was automatic, but I think what you forget is a lot of these players come from, you know, the same birth year. And what happens is is you start playing against these other teams, countries, you know, as as early as 16 years old, right? So these things build up, you know, 16 at the U 17 championships, then you've got the UA championships, then you play each other in the summer, um, or at five nations cups, and then you get to the world junior. So these players play against each other a couple of times a year, you know, every year and it builds rivalries and I got to tell you whether it's obviously Canada's the big one, but Sweden and Finland, um Czech Republic, you know, Czechia, I know it's not Czech Republic anymore. Mm-hmm. Um I'll even throw Slovakia in there. I mean, these are these are hockey countries. These are these are countries that when they play the united states and canada it's like their stanley cup you know they want to win those games so bad they're so big and so meaningful to their entire country you know 75 of of the country of sweden either watched or streamed the game it was like three million people in sweden watch this hockey game right i mean there's not that crazy of a population size of population in sweden so um it, it shows you how meaningful it is. And, and again, I'm not surprised by it. I think Rutger is a phenomenal captain. I've known him since he's a little kid. Um, I think he did a nice job of sort of building that in the media, but I got to tell you, to me, it was real. It looked real and it will continue to be real as these players now take their next steps into the NHL and start facing each other, um, you know, nightly at some point here over the next couple of years.
0: Well, speaking of Rutger McGroarty, should we mention that? We will be talking to him tomorrow.
1: I would say you just did mention it in in kind of a low-energy, poor way. So yeah, I don't know if you want to take it. (laughs) Well, listen, we're excited that we will tomorrow be joined live by uh, the captain of Team USA, Rutger McGroarty. And we won't talk too much about him because we'll save it for tomorrow. But we're certainly excited that we were able to get the captain of the U.S. National Junior Team, Winnipeg Jet, first-round pick. Look, I said, this is the the future captain of the Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. And I said, keep the receipts because that's how confident I am. And and this isn't one of my Johnny bad takes, which you have all over Twitter. This is something that I truly believe and stand by. So we'll get more out of them tomorrow. Um, But but exciting time for USA hockey and, and World Juniors. And you know, Canada's gearing up like they're counting the days till next year's World Junior with their early exit. Uh, this season. It'll be back on their home turf next year, which, you know, the atmosphere will be great. Um, So, you know, Hey, we, we got 12 months to to talk about it and get ready for it.
0: And the craziest thing about the world junior to me is that guys, you know, go over to Sweden, they win a gold medal. They probably celebrate after. And then bang, like a day and a half later, Jimmy Snuggard scores a goal for the university of Minnesota. He scored yesterday. It's just like crazy how much hockey these guys play in such a short amount of time. And They don't take their foot off the gas ever because normal college students, you know, they get that three-week, two-week break over Christmas where they get to go home, see family. These guys are going to Sweden, and they're just playing more and more hockey. It's such a long season for a lot of these guys. And then there are going to be certain players, too, that play the college season, play the World Junior, and then sign in the NHL once their college season concludes, and they go on to play in the NHL, play in the NHL playoffs. It's just so much hockey, but it's another thing that you just have to appreciate about these kids because, again, they are – It's the under-20 tournament. These are young kids that are playing a ton of competitive hockey throughout the year, and they continue and continue to deliver in each step of the way. So it's so impressive um, by all means, and and I don't know if you have any final thoughts about that.
1: Well, look, you mentioned guys who are going to jump right into the NHL. I mean – Cutter Goche is going to play for the Philadelphia Flyers this year. And whether that is three games uh, in April after BC competes in the frozen four, I think the frozen four this year is April is that a guarantee? 9th or 9th or 10th. It's not a guarantee, but I mean, you look at the way Boston college has played this year. You look at their goaltender, Jacob Fowler, who we just saw in the world juniors. I mean, it's hard to believe they're not going to be a frozen four team, uh, Boston college. So when whenever the season ends for a guy like Cutter Goche, he's he's going to the NHL. I, I don't know about Will Smith, I don't know about Ryan Leonard. I think these guys could use an extra another year. I hope Gabe Perot stays for at least one more year, maybe two. Um, look, Rucker McGrawy could be playing for Winnipeg at the end of the season this year and, and mm-hmm. playing uh, in the playoffs for Winnipeg, you know, who looks like potentially the best team in the NHL right now. So We'll ask him about that tomorrow if he has any idea or if he's made any plans. I, I'm sure he's just he's gonna, not tell, gonna us. tell us yeah. on his his season yeah. at Michigan, which I truly believe. But you know, there are a number of players in that world junior tournament that we will see playing in the NHL this year. Um, probably half a eh, half a dozen might be too many. I, I would say maybe somewhere between, you know, three, three to four, something like that. Um, so look, those are the future stars in the NHL. They were brightly shining on display and we'll follow up and, and we'll have to, you know, get these guys on our show as they get closer to their NHL debuts.
0: Yeah. And we'll hear from Rucker McGorry tomorrow, like Kobe just said, but going into a topic that was, A pretty spunky debate over social media throughout the weekend was Kevin BX's comments about Nick Cousins of the Florida Panthers. We talked about Cousins a bunch last week because of the questionable hits he made on Balamaki in Arizona and what it resulted in. And also we had the hit from behind on Gabranson earlier this year. And I think I asked you the question, Colby, if Nick Cousins is now the most targeted player in the NHL, which it seems like he has become that. And Kevin Bieksa was not shy in talking about his opinion. People come to games and watch on TV in the hopes of seeing a Michigan goal, in the hopes of seeing a fight. They like it. Now, what people don't want to watch and see is kneeing, uh, hitting a guy's head into the boards, uh, ramming a guy from behind. And that is a common theme for a player in this league. And I've never done this before, but I have to do it because this is a trend with this player. And he's done this a a, a numerous amount of times.
1: Let's just start with the fact that um Kevin Bieksa is a guy who played hard okay this is a guy who played in the gray um and was was honest about it though i, I mean i remember uh, our team you know in 2011 playing against the the Vancouver Canucks in the Stanley Cup finals and um you know he he was a guy who played hard right and on the edge so for, for a more old school thinking player who was a, a pretty rough guy to, to be saying this and to be calling this out, to me, it gives it even more value and even more meaning because um, a lot of times you see the old school players just kind of turn their head and say, this is just part of the game, but it is not part of the game. Look, I don't want to see physical play come out of hockey. Uh, I like fighting. I think those types of things, um, in a way, keep the game safer because it's self-policing. But what Nick Cousins is doing is completely out of control, and he is playing like a rat. I mean, there's just no question about it. And I said on our show last week, Johnny, I had way more of a problem with what Nick Cousins did than what Zucker even did as a response. I really did. I, I was un, you know, way less bothered by Zucker because I feel like he was sticking up for his teammate and it was in a response to a really dirty play on Valamaki, the defenseman, where Cousins hits a defenseless player who's down, uses his leg. I mean, just everything about it. Go back to the good Branson one. Um, it's a trend. And this guy, someone needs to deal with him. I love how BX called it the Department of Justice. I think that mm-hmm. caught fire on Twitter a little bit and everybody was saying they should change it to the department of justice. But th- this is something that needs to be dealt with. And if the league doesn't deal with it, um, like he talked about with Rafi Torres, a player is going to deal with it and it's going to be ugly. It is going to be ugly. So this is the kind of shit that needs to be out of hockey, not open ice hits, not the way Jacob Truba plays. Okay. Not uh, fighting. This is, defenseless shots at guys heads or defenseless players that are in completely vulnerable positions. They're not hockey plays. We've seen hockey plays getting called lately, which I don't agree with. Okay. Whether it was cam York getting hit in the flyer game on Saturday, they originally called it a five. They dialed it back to a two personally. I didn't think it was a penalty, whether it was the play, uh, where Toronto, Player McMahon hits the Anaheim defenseman at the blue line, five in a game, didn't think that was a penalty, thought those were hockey plays. Nick Cousins is throwing cheap shots, not hockey plays, and it needs to be dealt with.
0: Well, I also think that's the problem, too, is the lack of retribution because when Nick Cousins makes a play like that and throws a cheap shot and there's no punishment to it, you're basically saying that that's allowed and that's okay and that's acceptable. I think that's been the bigger issue. Like, Had Nick Cousins been thrown out of that Columbus This game, we don't see Branson act the way he did. We don't see anything kind of transpire and result of that hit. Same thing in in Arizona. Nick Cousins doesn't get a fine. He doesn't get suspended. Nothing happens. Zucker gets, you know, all of those. And that's, that's the message that's being sent. And again, like I know Kevin BX has said, I I heard Nick Cousins is a good guy. I had the chance to interview Nick Cousins last year at the Stanley Cup final media day. He was probably my favorite interview. He was so personable, so funny. And all the guys on the team on the Florida Panthers said like any team prank always starts and ends with cousins. He's a guy that keeps it light in the locker room. um, And actually is a super smiley, like nice, person off the ice and you know I feel like we see that a lot in the NHL where maybe the nicer guys off the ice you know do play like pricks on the ice and they kind of have to channel that character right because that's what makes them effective and the game yeah but but I think the rules and the referees also have allowed him to be out of control had they had they thrown him out of a game he probably has to change the way he acts right I think you have to set the standard and set the tone on a player like that or else you're just letting him get away with chaos and there's no and like you said the only person that can answer that is a player so like listen I have no issue with what Kevin BX has said I have no issue with the comments that have been made about Nick Cousins but with that said I still think you need players like Nick Cousins you need players that do play on the edge and do stir the pot and aren't afraid like Kevin BX
1: did yeah like Kevin BX did
0: but again I think there's something to be said that if every NHL player played to the rule book and played a clean game. We'd have nothing to fucking talk about. So I like that Nick Cousins does do that. I don't like that he does it the way he does it, but I do think having a player that is somewhat of a rat is necessary just to create a little bit more drama, create more things to talk about. Yeah, but and you're, you're,
1: I, I listen, Johnny. Right now, maybe that's the media you're,
0: perspective. You're right?
1: you're, ta- you're you're standing in the middle of the fence right now. Okay, stop standing in the middle of the fence. You're saying one thing out of one side of your mouth. You're saying another thing out of the other side of your mouth. You either like it or you don't. And I don't think you actually like it. Listen, Jacob Truba plays in the gray. Jacob Truba plays in the gray. He will run you over. He will crush you at center ice, and then he will drop his gloves and he will answer for it. Okay. To me, the hits that he throws sometimes are gray, but they're clean. You know what I mean? Kevin Bieksa played in the gray. Okay. Brad Marchand, you know he he's he's gone too far, which is why he's seen a number of suspensions. But Okay, play in the gray. All right. Play physical, play hard, play a little bit dirty. But when you're taking shots at a defenseless player, whether it was good Branson, whether it was Valamaki, that is a rat. That is not gray. Okay. Like I want guys to play in the gray too, but right now you're you're defending him while also taking no, issue no, no. with him pick a I'm side i'm defending here. him as
0: a person i'm defending him as a person i'm not well, defending not talking, what he's this done
1: personal no but this i'm not, is def- not anything about him as a person okay he's a good guy he's loved by his teammates that's fine we're not talking about that we're talking about the 60 minutes of hockey in which he is paid to represent a team in which he is hurting, by the way, a team that is playing phenomenally, but he seems to be the stain on that. And again, it's going to need to be dealt with, and it's going to be dealt with by a player if the league doesn't deal with it. And right now, we're not seeing it, so you know what comes next for this guy, and you know what it is. It's a guy like Jacob Truba who comes sniffing for him up the middle and ends up smoking him and giving him a concussion. And you know, you know the rest of the story.
0: I don't think I defended
1: any of his actions. To be fair, yes, you did. No, you I didn't. Were right I, in the middle of the fence. Yeah, no, you, I did you, not. I was just saying the NHL. Even, you you do know there's receipts. We we, we record I know, these. Shows. I know that
0: I tend to do that, but in this case, I don't think I did it. But I will say this: like we talked a lot last week about the Ryan Hartman Co. Perfetti situation, where you know Hartman takes a shot at a pretty much innocent guy. Like this is what could happen to the Florida Panthers if Cousins keeps running around and acting like a yeah, fucking but idiot. more
1: information on that situation came out. The more that information came out, you know, uh, Russo wrote a great piece in The Athletic about that where he got Hartman's side of the story. And it kind of turns out that Cole Perfetti is everything that I said on the show last week. I mean, that kid, uh, he just looks worse and worse the way he handled it. Hartman basically said he was a liar. Uh, Hartman said that the kid was trying to goat him because he was wearing a mic. I mean, I said that Perfetti needed to grow a pair. Wow, does that ever look to be the right thing? I mean, yeah. because that, that kid just painted a huge target on his back and he is going to be getting ridiculed by every player on every team moving forward. So look, there, there's been a number of these, Johnny, uh, and, and these hits that are, you know, creating buzz and creating drama. And h- how about... The Brendan Smith hit on Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard takes the hit. He's got a broken jaw. Um, You know, we all saw it. It's been left and right. Basically, every fan in Chicago said that this was a dirty hit. Luke Richardson said it wasn't a dirty hit. I thought that personally, it was completely clean. It it, it wasn't even that big of a hit. Brendan Mm -hmm. Smith just stood his ground. And Brendan Smith is a big, strong guy. Um, he's a guy who does play in the gray at times, but I don't consider Brendan Smith to be a dirty player whatsoever. And by your standards, he's a nice guy, okay? And I Shut do up. mean that because I like Smitty, but Shut that's up. just you know the little Johnny Sunshine and rainbows. What would you think of this hit? I mean, I, I just to me it was totally clean.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. Here's the difference between Brendan Smith and Nick Cousins. Brendan Smith answers the bell. If Nick Cousins is gonna do what he does. He can't turtle and shy away from being fucking hit and, and fighting. Brennan Smith knows what he did. He hit He hit a star player, probably the star player of the NHL right now that everyone's talking about. And he knows he has to answer the bell. He knows what he's doing. He's not a guy that's in the lineup every night. He's got to make an impact on this game some way, somehow. And that could have been a boring fucking game in New Jersey between the Blackhawks and the Devils. Turn into and a this shit show. made it into an amazing hockey game. I know. right? Yeah, Even really Jack was. Hughes is throwing the body, laying people yeah. out. Like That hockey game was so fun to watch. And I thought, both sides handled it perfectly. Brendan Smith's hit was not bad at all. It's a terrible result that Connor
1: Bedard, you know, fractures, breaks his jaw. Yeah, we can we'll all agree. Nobody happens. wants to see Bedard injured. We all agree on that. So if any Blackhawks fans are listening, just take a chill yeah. pill. We're not ever advocating to see Bedard get hurt. But to me, again, Smith Smithy wasn't even looking for the hit there. He just held his ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's he, what Luke he Richards, was. He was looking to throw listen, a little body. Come on. Luke he Richardson played the game hard and honest. Okay, I remember watching him play for the Flyers for a, a chunk of my childhood. He played for the Flyers for four or five years. There wasn't a more honest player. He fought for his teammates. He played the game north south. He he didn't take dirty penalties, didn't play in the gray at all, but he was hard-nosed. So for him to come out and say that really lets you know uh what actually happened there. And then Nick Fellino being the veteran that he is, he fights, he breaks his hand or his finger, He's now injured. I mean, a total double whammy for a team, Johnny, that just can't afford to lose more guys. I mean, they're already playing with basically, you know, half an American League roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're going to have Jason Dickinson be their all-star representative probably from what it oh, sounds shit. like. Just kidding. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. But, um, you know, back to the, uh, the Smith-Bedard hit, I think, you know, we all argue a lot of the time too that we don't want to see players have to fight after a clean hit. But in this case, your star player, Nick yeah. Foligno did the right thing. Brennan Smith did the right thing. I think Felino actually said to Smith, you know, I got to give you one here, right? Or you, yeah. you got to give me one. I'm doing the
1: same um, thing. If I'm, you yeah. completely I, understandable.
0: I think it was handled perfectly by both sides. Like I said, and also like I, I kind of gave the Rangers crap a little bit, uh, the game before when they played Chicago, cause Bedard came barreling in. And I know Igor Shesterkin's out of his crease and Bedard lands on top of him. He's pushed in. It's not, you know, Bedard's fault necessarily, but in any typical hockey game, you see a player touch a goalie. You're going to do something to that guy that touches your goalie and in this case bedard you know he actually put his hand up and like looked like he apologized which was actually really funny um because he didn't want to get beat up obviously And an 18 year old getting beat up by any nhl player for that reason would be stupid but uh you know i thought it was interesting the way that the rangers kind of treated him like a golden boy like he didn't really get hit much the entire game so seeing a guy like brendan smith throw the body on him and if you remember to crosby's rookie year we talked about this a couple shows ago like Crosby got hit, and he maybe he was a little bit cheaper than Bedard is. Crosby, you know, he took his shots as well his rookie year, but well, he also whined a lot. Yeah, but Crosby these guys was, shouldn't, was be, unhittable. Be, shouldn't on be unhittable, they shouldn't be unhittable, though. You know, like I, I, I think Bedard, Bedard should be treated with a little more respect than the typical, you know, rookie in the NHL. But I like that Brian Smith agree. wasn't afraid to throw the body on him.
1: I totally agree with that. I think you treat every player with a certain level of respect because they're out on the ice, but when the puck drops, I I don't think you're sitting there saying, you know, oh, (laughs) it's Connor Bedard. I'm not going to go there. So you're not going to run him. That that game sparked a total shit show. Um, Guys are injured. A lot of a lot of things came out of that game, Johnny, for the New Jersey Devils, a team that is really, you know, fighting to get back into the playoff spot. They occupy a playoff spot right now, but I got to tell you, not pretty in New Jersey. They've got. A major, major string of injuries to their top players Heisher, Hughes, Siegenthaler, Nosik, Halla, Hamilton, Meyer, Palat, Miller, Lazar, and Dawes all are injured right now for the New Jersey Devils. What an absolute shit show for a team that had high expectations. They've got horrible goaltending problems. They lose 6 4 to Vancouver and I'm just shaking my head throughout that game because they just never get a save ever. I'm not even if the goalie doesn't let up any soft goals in a game, they never get a big save. They never get a timely save. I mean, they got major goaltending problems that need to be addressed. And it's not like they've got a a guy coming back from injury that they can, you know, uh, hang their hat on. They're in trouble in goal and it, with their injuries I, i'm not really sure how they're going to cling and and stay in the playoff picture unless they get healthy quick
0: i'll tell you how they're going to stay in the playoff picture cuz the washington capitals suck and they have no chance of making it
1: <laughs> except they keep winning games and they keep hanging around and you keep saying that and then they go <laughs> out and and they continue to beat good teams they're not beating bottom feeder teams they're beating playoff Let's teams not get off topic
0: Let's not get off topic. But the Devils, it's interesting because last year in the playoffs, Akira Schmid comes in in the first round after the first two games where Vitek Fancheck started against the Rangers and let up five goals in each of those games. Kira Schmid comes in and he looks like he's the savior of the Devils franchise. The next Marty Brodeur, everyone's raving about him. Uh, I think it was Schmidt Happens was like the title when the Devils beat the Rangers in game seven, but I don't know what happens from year to year with goaltenders, right? We see it not only with the devils, but it happens in general. Like there are a lot of guys I can think of that have, you know, one incredible season and they follow it up with a weaker season the following year. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the all-stars coming up. Igor Shesterkin's on the all-star list this year and he hasn't had the best season this year, but do you know anything about the goaltending situations? Maybe it's mental with how guys can so stand on their just- head one year. And then
1: I'll, I'll I'll just re regurgitate something Brian Boucher once told me, I think he told me this when we were at the 2018 Olympics, both, both working for NBC. And I think we were at dinner one night and we were kind of talking about his own career and how he put together good stretches of number one goaltending, but never sustained it long-term as a number one. And he told me that it's, it's, it's all up here. He said very few athletes in, in the world or in the history of our sport are built to carry that position with the stress, the pressure, the physicality, the workload. He said, it's one thing to do it for two weeks. It's one thing to do it for, for a month, but it's another thing to do it season after season, which just really even you know puts more of a highlight on some of the things that we've seen out of number one goaltenders in the NHL. And it's probably why teams are going to this 1A and 1B situation. So Um, look, not every team in the NHL has a number one goaltender. It's like the NFL with quarterbacks. There's probably a dozen of them, maybe 15 of them. And then the other 15 teams are just trying to make it work. Um, just look at some of the teams we thought would be cup contenders this year. What has been the biggest weak spot and the biggest issue for them? So look, goaltending just continues to be a little bit of a question mark. Seems like USA Hockey and the development model has figured something out because a lot of the elite goaltenders right now are coming out of the United States. And we've got more on the way with Augustine and Fowler. Um, you look at the goaltending matchup right now between, let's say, the best U.S. players and the best Canadian pros. The U.S. has a major advantage in goal. They really do. By I mean, it's, it's like the U.S. could probably go four or five deep at almost two teams worth of goaltenders with how deep they are at the position. So um, we're going to take a break here for for a minute. We'll be right back. Uh, We do have the Frank Vetrano interview. Uh, He will be jumping on the show here to talk about the story uh, of him and I beefing all those years ago. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit of all-stars and all-star selections, and then we'll get you ready for tonight with the slate of NHL games. So we will see you on the other side.
0: We want to talk about the all-star selections. There are a couple of storylines. Guard to the all-star weekend, Oliver Bjorkstrand. We saw his sit down with Dave Hacksaw, which caught a lot of attention over social media. Austin Matthews is selected again. Artemi Panarin will not be attending because he's ha- expecting another baby with his wife. But Colby, anything that stands out to you on the all-star list this year?
1: Well, look, I think this whole every team needs to have a player thing needs to stop. Um, The fans want to see the best players in the world. So bringing one player from team, you just start to eliminate guys who need to be in the all-star game um, for the fans. Now, now, having said that, players don't want to go to the all-star game. A lot of players. Um, I mean, even Oliver Bjorkstrand on that video, like, was kind of like, oh, man, now I have to tell my wife we can't go to San Diego. We're not going to get the sun. There's not going to be any ocean. Um, You'd think a guy like Oliver Bjorkstrand would be over the moon to be named to an all-star game uh, because, look, I don't think that's really somebody that people are, are, you know, no disrespect to him. When you put him up with Austin Matthews, it's like, wait, what? So, I just think that the the NHL needs to figure something out with this all-star game because it's just continued to kind of get worse and worse and hard to watch. Um, And I think one of the big issues is that players love their all-star break. Um, They really do. That that week and that extra time you get by not being an all-star is just so important for your body, for your mind, to kind of heal yourself, to refresh yourself for the sprint towards the playoffs.
0: It also doesn't help when the best goal scorer of all time or soon to be Alexander Ovechkin basically comes out in the open and says he doesn't want to go. Uh, I don't think that that helps the case for All-Star Weekend. Like you said, Colby. that players don't want to go. But again, I still think the All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend is so necessary. I mean, you have the game's biggest players on a pretty big stage, especially this year in Toronto. It's going to be an amazing event this year, you know, in the biggest hockey city, I would argue, in the NHL. Um, and I don't think that's actually arguable. Pretty sure, one hundred percent of people would agree with that. But Mecca, there's no doubt. But would you say, like, you know, I know the NFL does their Pro Bowl after the season. Is, is there a you can't no. right? You can't put it after the season. Like, I don't know. I mean, the, look, I
1: think having it, it in a be. warm weather climate is smart. I think players were were pretty excited to do the one in South Florida. Was that I don't know? Was that last season? Last year? Was that two seasons year. ago? Yeah. But then in the same breath, you watch the All Star Skills Competition, and the building was half empty, which is a terrible look. Uh, for the league. So I think they got it right by putting the skills competition back all in one place on the ice. I think now they're trying to bribe players in the skills competition with money. I think that's cost. always, yeah, like I think that's always a smart idea, but I don't know whether you need to tell players, look, if you play in the all-star game, you still get those extra three days on your bye week So you get that extra time to to rest up and heal. Like, I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just letting you know that, Certain times fans think players didn't get, you know, didn't make the all-star game, but it's because they didn't want to go. And they're a big enough name and a big enough, you know, star that they could go to their GM and say, look, I've got nagging hip flexor issues or groin issues. So I, I don't want to go. Um, so at the end of the day, like, I-, I just think that they need to figure something out because I remember as a kid watching the all-star East versus West, uh, watching Owen Nolan point on his breakaway against Dominic Hasik. Um, you know, watching guys play for a car that used to be a big deal. You know, watching Jeremy Roenick throw a hit in the all-star game. Like, these are all memories I have as a kid. And now, honestly, like, I'm like, oh, the all-star game's on. Yeah, I guess I'll flip it on. It, yeah. It's just, it's really something they need to kind of reinvent and figure out with the players Um, and again, putting it in a warm weather places, I know we're doing, it's for the fans. You want to spread it out. I think Toronto will put on a great show. It's Toronto. They'll get big names. I'm sure, you know, hall of fame, former players will all be in and around it, but they got to figure something out because it's, it's definitely lost its way.
0: Well, do you agree that Frank for should be an (laughs) all-star?
1: Um, look by the standards of every team needing a guy, then yeah, I think Frank Petrano should be an all-star. He's having an all-star caliber season, but you know, look, this is a guy who, who chirped me on Twitter 10 years ago. So I'm certainly not going to vote for him until, you know, we can work things out between him and I, um, I don't have a vote for, for the record. Uh, and I have not done any fan voting. I do not go on the NHL website and do fan voting. So Um, but good for him. Good for him. This is a guy who's found his way in the league. He's bounced around. He's found his way. And I know we're going to talk to him at the end of the show. Um, and I know you are just dying to to, to play this story out on the air. So with, without further ado, I'll, I'll give you the ball back.
0: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, we did see a a very nice touching tribute or not tribute video, but a video of Frank Petrano walking into the locker room after practice, seeing his wife, seeing his daughter, finding out he's an all-star stuff like that. Moments like that. Like those are guys who want to be at the all-star game, right? Because they don't really get the league recognition um, from year to year. So these are the things that are nice as well, right? There are some players who might want to take the time off, but again, it's a lot of players dream to grow up and play in an NHL all-star game. So I think a moment like this, you know, seeing Bertrano embrace his wife, embrace his daughter, finding out he's in the all-star game. You see him get a little bit emotional. Uh, was a very nice little video that played throughout social media over the weekend, but we are going to talk to Frank Bertrano. We're going to squash some beef between him and Kobe. Uh, which is almost exactly 10 years ago to the day, February 3rd, 2014. But we won't say anything more about that story. We'll just let you guys hear it yourselves. So let's kick it over to Frank Petrano. So a couple weeks ago, I ran to an old UMass friend of mine at the Anaheim Ducks morning skate at Madison Square Garden. I told him that I was doing a new show with Kobe Cohen and asked him if he had known Kobe at all. And without hesitation, he said, I don't know if we've ever met, but we had Twitter beef like probably 10 or 15 years ago. So obviously, the first thing I did was type in Frank Petrano and Kobe Cohen on Twitter. And I had to call Kobe and be like, dude, what's with this Twitter beef you have with Frank Petrano? And Kobe had no idea what I was talking about. So without further ado, we're going to welcome on Anaheim Ducks forward live from the practice parking lot to talk us through this little Twitter beef from February 3rd, 2014, almost 10 years ago on the dot. Frankie, do you remember tweeting this at that time? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. First of all, thanks for having me on, guys. This is, uh awesome what you guys are doing. But uh, yeah, just a stupid me, eighteen-year-old kid. I think I was watching. I think at the time, Cole, you were maybe doing. Were you doing Neston
1: at the time? Beanpot. It was a beanpot. Yeah,
2: beanpot. It was a beanpot. So I, you must must have been. This must have been like your first year, maybe after being retired, right? Had to.
1: Be. I was still playing. No, I was actually oh, still, still playing. playing. I was injured. Playing. I was injured, and this was like my second broadcast ever. Also, yeah, let's say
0: that this is their first time talking face-to-face. People need to know that because yeah, Kobe's yeah, so yeah. red right now. I've never seen him this
1: red. I'm dying laughing. This is
0: unbelievable.
2: Yeah, he wasn't saying like anything like bad, like just stupid, 18 years old, like everyone that I hate now, just, you know, using their Twitter thumbs and stuff. And I just basically subtweeted. So if any of you don't know subtweets, basically you don't tag anyone. So I didn't think that he would see it. And I just said, he'll be calling us so many weird brags on this broadcast or whatever I said. And, and literally, I'm not even kidding. It was probably less than five minutes. And I remember I was sitting, I was living in an eight-person house at UMass with eight, with eight of us. And we were just watching the thing. I was like, holy shit, he just tweeted back at me. <laughs> he just tweeted back about all of his accolades and all that stuff. And at the time, I was like, what am I going to say at the time? I was an 18-year-old kid. Like, I'm serving a year-and-a-half suspension from the NCAA at UMass. Uh, for for a transfer penalty from BC, so at the time I really couldn't say anything, but you know he got me.
1: <laughs> well, well, let me just say this, Frank. When all the chips and and the dust has settled, I think you have the last laugh as you've <laughs> gone on to have an awesome NHL career. So you know, good for you. Not easy to do. You know, being undrafted, having to sit out a year at college, and then you know from there you just kind of started going uphill with your game. So I think you get the last laugh on this one. But I remember, and and this was probably my first. I don't know. I had probably done three or four broadcasts before. I was still playing. My contract had just expired with the Bruins, but I had uh, sports hernia, groin surgery, so I was just in Boston, living there, working out, training, rehabbing, and doing ness and stuff. And like I was terrible on TV <laughs> at this point, absolutely terrible. And and in all honesty, super um, like. You know, unsure of my work. I had very little confidence on TV. I did not know what I was doing. I was insecure about it. And when oh. I would work, I would search my name on Twitter because I was so concerned with what everybody else thought and what people were saying. So when I saw that, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why is this <laughs> other hockey player chirping me? Um, and obviously, like I look you up, I'm like, who is this guy? And at the time, like, oh, I'm like an, an NTDP guy. I'm like, we all are supposed to like have each other's backs. Um, so I was pissed, and I definitely came back with like as cocky as I could be. Even
0: more um, weird brags.
1: <laughs> you know, they were it. not I love it. They, Trust me, they, I love that stuff. That stuff's great. They were not weird brags. I just came with what I could come with. Um, but I, I honestly, like I was super insecure as a broadcaster. You gave me a complex Frank. Like, yeah, I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, I I don't know what I'm doing. So what they tell you in broadcasting is just like lean on your playing experience. And I really didn't know how to do that without just sounding and bragging about (laughs) what I had done in hockey. So what you said was totally fair. Like, I will say that you're, you're probably, you know, You're taking the fall a little, saying you're just being a dumb 18-year-old. But I'm sure, I'm sure it was warranted by me.
2: No, it was great. You're doing great now. You have a great career post-hockey. It's awesome to see what you're doing. But, I mean, I'd probably do the same thing, too, if I was on air. I don't know what to say. You only really go off of your experience. So, I'd probably be doing the same thing.
0: Frankie, have you been a little bit more careful with your tweeting now over the last 10 years?
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't even tweet. I don't even go on it anymore. It's just a distraction. I can't even... Go on. Early out of my career, I used to chirp back at fans and whatnot, but it's just like, what's the point? You know, like there's they want me to tweet back, so I don't even, I don't even go on Twitter. I don't do anything. I just stay on like Instagram and stuff. But I even try and stay away from that. I think it's just, uh, it's a distraction. I think it's stuff that you don't even need. Sometimes it fuels you, but at the the end of the day, like, you know what kind of player you are. You know what kind of team you're part of. Like if anyone your team's getting beef, like no one knows what's going on in that room. So. I, I think it's a distraction overall.
0: Well, that's where it's we funny. differ because if I were you, if if you guys had held on to that win against the Leafs last night, I would have went on Twitter and been like, you like that B-hand shelf, Leafs fans? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. Well, Frank, on our show yesterday, he asked me who I thought would win that game and like, do I think Anaheim's for real? And I was like, look, I think <laughs> Anaheim had a great start to the season. I'm like, but they're in a rebuild. I don't think it's fair you know, to have expectations that they're going to beat the Leafs, and I know. Look, you're going out to win every night. There's no doubt. Like you play the game hard, uh, you show up in big moments, and you have in your career. But Johnny's response to me was, "Oh, you're dogging Anaheim because you're beef with Frank Petrano," and I'm like, "You're never going to let this go." I'm like, yeah, "I know, right?" You're, he he's the one keeping this thing alive here. I'm so I'm glad we're scur- able to. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, like you said, I think as a team, like, we're going through a rebuild, but we're also trying to win, too. That's the whole point of playing this game is you're trying to win every single night. I think, you know, we've been through a bunch of injuries this year. We really haven't had a full lineup. Uh, you know, we missed Zegers for some time now. We're missing Leo. We missed Killer, who's a huge part of our team that we've added last year. And, um, you know, once we have a healthy team, like, you know, we're competing in games. There's been some games that slipped away from us, but, you know, we're just trying to compete every single night. It should be a hard team to play against.
0: Can you talk about the lifestyle away from the rink cuz I don't think people get to hear from the the guys who play down in California and uh you know I've seen you doing a lot of media stuff lately you were at NHL Network a couple weeks ago uh doing a little shopping tour in New York City with Ryan Strom. What's the the lifestyle like away from the rink down there in Anaheim?
2: Oh, it's awesome. I've been so fortunate to play in some great cities. Like I played in Boston, played in, I was in Florida for almost 5 years and obviously be in New York for, you know, 4 or 5 months and I kind of been able to play close to home for both teams that you can say consider close to home. Especially being New York, New York, I think is the best city in the world. That was unbelievable experience. I mean, everyone always asks me about New York, and I always say that's that's playing in the NHL, the way going to MSG every single day, and just the fans, how they're diehards, and you know they're honest and they're blue collar, and that's what I love. That's that's what I am all about. And now being in Anaheim, kind of completely different than being in a hockey, a big hockey market. you know, the, the sun's always shining. It's seventy degrees every single day. You can get away from the rink if you have a bad day. You can go to the beach, and uh, you see the ocean from your house. It, it's pretty incredible. Um, I feel like it's similar to Florida. I love it here. The guys are great, and you know, when you play in a place where there's nice weather, it's hockey's an important part of your life. But also away from the rink, it's important too. You got to clear your head, and a place like uh, you know we live in Newport Beach, and you know, to clear your head there. It's it's almost you can't have a bad day, and uh, I've enjoyed it a lot, and. Hopefully you'd be here for many years.
1: Well, first off, thanks for to Frank Vitrano for coming on. He was sitting in the parking lot at the practice rink, waiting to go in as we uh we were talking with him. Obviously, a three-hour time change. So we we talked to him on Friday before he even found out that he was an all-star. So we'll we'll give him the congrats that are due. It's it's obviously an incredible accomplishment. But Look, I give him credit for, for coming on and for agreeing to do that. And I I, honestly, I had no idea how that was going to go because you just, you just never know kind of the route guys are going to take. I mean, I know me, I, I probably would have held my ground no matter what, even if I was totally in the wrong. Um, but, but I am glad that he came on. I'm glad that we were able to kind of meet, even though virtually, uh, we, we, we both played at the national team. We we've got plenty of connections through hockey East. Um, and I just remember back to that at a time where I, I was not—I was not confident in my broadcasting. I was so new at it, um, and I would look at my name on Twitter, which I never do anymore. I've learned my lesson the hard way on that. <laughs> um, and when I saw that, like it made me feel like shit. And so obviously <laughs> I had to lash out, and I had to be as cocky as I could. You know, at the time Frank hadn't played. I don't know. Maybe one game in the NCAA. It's not like he had put this career together. Um, so I'm like, who is this guy ripping me? Uh, like, let's compare resumes. Now he gets the last laugh. Look at his bank account um, and his playing resume. But I give him credit for coming on. I'm glad we were able to squash that. I'm sure it won't be the last time we have to have somebody come on that I've had, you know, some sort of feud with. But how cringy is it to see ten year old tweets? Johnny, I mean, I could only imagine you're painful on Twitter now, so I can only imagine how painful you were 10 years ago. Oh, man, thinking about that, it, it gives me the chills a little bit.
0: I mean, I don't cringe at any of my tweets. I'm fucking hilarious. But anything I see of <laughs> you, yourself. anything I see of you, the best way to go about it, Colby Cohen has so many weird brags. And then to throw out more brags is is just the the cherry on top. The, the perfect Listen, way to when you first that.
1: start broadcasting. You don't know what you're doing. So you just lean on your playing experience and what happened when you played. And look, I had just come off a very successful college career. I mean, I, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. And so now I was a terrible pro, which I'm happy to say I was a total flop, total flop, got handed NHL opportunities in Colorado. Uh, then they got rid of me. And then, you know, couldn't get more than a healthy scratch sniff the rest of my life. So, um, you know, I, I'm afraid, I'm not afraid to call it like I see it one way or the other. And, and, you know, it, it was funny. And when you reminded me of this thing, yeah. I didn't even remember that this existed. I can't believe he um, remembered.
0: That was the crazier part. I was like, you know, Kobe Kelly I mean, goes, actually, I've never met him, but we had Twitter beef 10 years ago. I was like, that, what? That's so fucking what But annoying. I, so I do
1: love how he admitted the fact that like he was sitting there with his buddies, he chirped me, and then he was like, holy shit, he replied. I'm sure <laughs> him and his teammates were sitting around just absolutely eating that up, yeah. loving it, which you know, people on Twitter, they're always just looking for a reply. So that, that was great. Honestly, get, give him a lot of credit. Now I'm, now I'm rooting for Frank Petrano. I've only heard good things about him. Hey, He's played with some of my closest friends. So
0: credit to you too, Kobe. You, you kissed his ass enough, maybe to get invited to a cup party. If he wins it someday, I think that's, I don't uh,
1: need to go to a cup <laughs> party. I've been to
0: those, Johnny. I got what a all? ring. Child. Yeah, I haven't, I guess, which which would be cool. But also, you know, credit to you, too, for talking about your illustrious career as well. I think it's important on the broadcast. Like, you know, if I were to do that, uh, you know, I'll give a shout out to our good friend Tyler Murray, who we do a lot of Nesson broadcasts with. And if Tyler asked me about my successful hockey career, I'd say, you know, well, Tyler, when I won the Tier 2 state championship back in seventh grade, uh, you know, it was a really good experience for me to learn how to build a culture and win. Like that's all I had. But have.
1: you but just, you did I play division one. You played for a former NHL head coach or excuse me, assistant coach who who's, you know, in Greg Carvel. Um, you played for a good program. So you've seen what it should look like. You've been around what it should look like. You were, you know, around McCarr and and different super elite players, which I think you can learn a lot from just being around guys like that. So that was great. Um, again, thanks to Frank Fatrano for coming on, for doing that. With a three hour time change, um, really sporadic. Like we said, it won't be the last time that we got to bring someone on that I've beefed with. We'll, we'll try to make it regular. We know people enjoy that kind of stuff. um So, yeah, that was great. What do we and, got going on tonight, Johnny?
0: Well, Kobe, before we go into tonight, we do have some breaking news. The Toronto Maple Leafs just tweeted, per the Daily Face off which I'm seeing right now on Twitter, that William Nylander has signed an eight year contract extension, $92 million. Oh my God! <laughs> so good for Willie Nylander. I don't know if that's good for the Maple Leafs organization, but love to see guys get paid. I don't think we'll dive too deep into it unless you have a comment on it quickly before we wrap up the show today. Listen,
1: a good for him. I'm with you. Get get paid, right? But man, eleven and a half million a year for eight years AAV or whatever the actual number is. You know that. Listen. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to continue to stack up an offense um, and they're going to continue to have a patchwork decor and let me know when that works out. You know, let me know when they win a couple of rounds. Let me know when they lift that big silver cup because the way they're constructing their rosters, it ain't going to happen. It, it's not going to happen. I said I didn't agree with it last week. I still don't agree with it. It doesn't mean I don't think the player is playing at an all-star caliber right now but I just think their roster is so flawed and they just continue to say, we'll deal with this today. We'll figure out the D thing later. Well, they've been doing that for years and years and years. And where has it got them?
0: So I think your math was correct. It's 11.5 million per year. So kudos to you for the good math. We'll get some snaps. So um, that
1: means Marner is going to get about 27 million a year when he signs his new deal.
0: And it looks like there's still a bit of work getting done per Darren Drager, but. Uh, he is the one who reported the news first. I won't go too deep into it because we don't have every single detail of the deal and whatnot, but like you said before, there are four games tonight, the Vancouver Canucks and the New York Rangers. I'll actually be going to the Canucks morning skate right after we get off the call here. Then uh, the Penguins and Flyers, the Battle of Pennsylvania, which hopefully can kind of get sparked up again. I feel like it hasn't been that good over the past couple of years, but now that the Flyers are relevant again, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit of a, a heated battle tonight and the Dallas Stars, Minnesota Wild, who have been a bit of a rivalry as of late as well, and to finish thing off, finish things off, we got the Boston. Well, Brewers. how about
1: well, hold on. you can't you can't breeze that game without not we, mentioning we, the we fact can go that go back to it.
0: I was just going to say Mark the last Contre game.
1: Andre Fleury gets a win tonight. He overtakes Marty Brodeur for second all time in wins. Um, the guy's incredible. I think tomorrow, if he breaks it, we're going to have to talk a little bit about. Um, we're gonna excuse me. Overtakes Patrick Wah for second all, all time. Not Marty Brodeur, but one. um um We we will see if he breaks that. We'll we'll dive into that tomorrow. We'll talk about the legends of of the crease all time. I got to call his 500th win uh, in Montreal with Chicago. I don't know if maybe two years ago that might have been. That was one of the coolest games I ever called because the fans were cheering for Flurry in Montreal in a game that the Blackhawks were winning, obviously, if it was his 500th win. I mean, the whole building, flurry, flurry. When does an opposing team ever do that, Johnny? So we'll get more into that tomorrow. I I know I cut you off and I went into something there. I know you were going to, you're going well, to know you're Boston not sorry Colorado. about it. <laughs> you're right. I'm not sorry about it. I don't know why I said that, but Boston and Colorado potential Stanley cup preview potential. That's what Colorado I was going to say before you cut bruising. me off. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody cares what you have to say, so I'll just take it from there. Uh, any final thoughts, my man, any final thoughts? I'll uh, give you the ball. go ahead. I don't know Close if I can out. get any
0: fucking thoughts out with the amount of times you're going to cut me off. Um, No, just four four really good games tonight. All teams that are in the playoff picture, um, I think all really strong rivalries of some sort. I mean, you can make a case that the Ranger conducts 1994 Stanley Cup rematch or whatever, you know, 30 years uh, later. I don't know if it's a rivalry right now, but uh, we'll see Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox go at it, two of the best defensemen in today's NHL. So I'm sure that'll be a, a fun matchup to watch. And like I said, the Battle of Pennsylvania, the Stars of Minnesota, have had a ton of playoff battles over the past couple of years. And then, like we just said, the Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche, possible Stanley Cup final preview. So... Um, Four really good hockey games tonight. I'm sure that's going to make for a great show tomorrow morning to talk about what happens in these games tonight. But that's really all I got for today's show, Kobe. Um, so if you want to wrap it up, you can have the last word today.
1: Well, listen, we appreciate, as always, everybody who watches the show, listens to the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe on the Daily Faceoff's YouTube page. Um, don't forget to check them out on X. They have been tweeting clips of the show. If you're curious what we're all about, you'll get to see some of the, you know, takes that we have, some of the arguments that we have. Um, Get on at 9 a.m. Watch us live on YouTube. We've got tons of videos, tons of interactive stuff on Twitter. We appreciate the questions today. Make sure you get in the chat. And we will be right back here in less than 24 hours. We'll see everyone tomorrow at 9 a.m. for Johnny Lazarus. I am Colby Cohen. And thanks for listening to Morning Cup of Hockey.
0: And thanks to our producer, Vic.